Autobots, transform! <laughs> Not you, Bumblebee. Welcome back to more and less than meets the eye. This is a Transformers podcast. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined by Ben Phillips. Ben, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I've read a lot of Transformers. Yeah, you've gone beyond the parameters of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone who is reading along with us is like, cool, I read eight issues of comic book for this. I think by my maths, I've read somewhere between 150 and 200 issues of comic books. In preparation, for not this. in the last week. No, no just not in, in general. Week. Just no. in general. I mean, I've read more than two hundred comics in my life. Like, I am a sure <laughs> insane person who has read the entire line of Ultimate Comics at Marvel. Yeah, yeah. Like, I've got a lot under my belt in terms of like reading comics. But I, th- this was my deepest and longest dive into licensed comics ever. I'd mm. say like, I've read licensed comics here and there. Like, I've read like Power Rangers. I've read I've read this. I've read Star Wars. I've read kind of like the stuff that i feel translates really well to licensed comics but this was like when i've done it before i've read like a creator i like has done a series or someone has recommended me something i have not done the top to bottom read everything in the universe i mean i haven't done what you have done i've read a, a fair amount but you've gone way way past me at this point you've like... done something similar with like Teenage Mutant Turtles, haven't you? No, not even close. There is so much extra shit with Turtles. Like, you think there are a lot of spotlights for this. They're like, how could we make every single thing a one-shot or a three-issue mini? Oh, God. <laughs> it's it's relentless. Like, the, the main book, good. I probably would recommend it overall. But I feel like almost every issue, there's a C blah 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 for more information (laughs) yeah like at least transformers has kept that to a minimum although like obviously the run we're doing now is very like we are just to to preface and kind of introduce the podcast we are covering james roberts's run on transformers more than meets the eye which ran from 2012 to 2018 something i want to say yeah like obviously changes title halfway through the run because comic book cannot run for more than like 50 issues without someone losing their minds yeah i feel Um, like the reboot happened in 2019 but that it doesn't necessarily mean that they didn't kill all i feel like it started early 2019 and they killed all the books previous 2018 2018. yeah yeah. that that is what the gist of this run is but i went back to (laughs) like when when you go to tfwiki.net yes and you are looking for the kind of era transformers that we are talking about now you will see it labeled as the idw 2005 universe yes Um, so i have read seven years worth of a comics universe essentially in preparation for this to see whether or not it would help my understanding of the comics that i read about three years ago at this point it was kind of like mid-pandemic we like you made me read these yes let's be honest though you've bullied me into enough things i think every (laughs) now and then you need to return the favor yeah so i mean we're we're not talking the the old ass marvel comics from 84 to 91 we are not talking dreamwave productions 2001 to 2005 we are not even actually talking 2005 to like 2012 we have both read well i mean you've read more than me because they they start off doing a, a shitload of what they call spotlights miniseries very short then they do all hell megatron which is their biggest attempt at an ongoing if basically I... my my theory is is that they were doing these kind of like short form miniseries and spotlights that focus on individual characters for for several years and then 
the movie start coming out and they have a little freak out and they go like, oh, this isn't like the movies. It's a bit too like subdued and stuff like that. We need to do something where we destroy everything we've done and put Megatron front and center is, <laughs> is basically all hell Megatron. And yeah, it's not good. It's not good, but, but it got it, a lot of eyeballs. And yes. then they get a 31 issue ongoing, which is, like, very okay, I think would be the language I would Yeah, like, like, it's got some interesting ideas. It very much reeks of about, kind of, like, 20 issues in, you realise that they immediately go, like, we need to wrap this up and just completely, <laughs> like, pivot into a different story and kind of toss out three issues to wrap up what has been the plot. Yeah. Technically, the war, the four million year war ends with All Hail Megatron and which, they're, like, which trying think... to adjust to peacetime. Which is the most interesting thing that this entire IDW universe does, is that, like, whenever you touch on Transformers, it's always this war is ongoing, and just by virtue of what movies are, the Autobots always seem to have, like, the upper hand, and then sometimes have Decepticons winning for by the end of the movie, the TV show, whatever, like, it's ended. But I feel like this IDW series is the first time in Transformers that the war has ended. Yeah, I mean, you could count Beast Wars, but, like, their descendants are now at war, essentially. (laughs) That's the thing, is, like, it is millions of years in the future, that one. And I feel like, and that's what makes this so interesting and so fertile, is what do the Cybertronians do once the war is over? And the the 31 issues leading up to this, kind of, it's set on Earth. The Decepticons are kind of, like, barely a thing. They're kind of more, like, teaming up with humans in in uninteresting ways. Guns for hire in North Korea. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's more about the Autobots and their relationship with the Earth government, which is also exactly the status quo in Transformers Rends the Fallen, yep. which I've watched at this point, which is which is very funny when watching that movie, and I was like, oh wow, like this is beat for beat the the <laughs> IDW thirty one issue comic in terms of like their relationship and yeah. people coming in and going like we can't have people finding out that we're teamed up with aliens and it's just like again chicken and egg I don't know which one came first but I feel like they're definitely like playing off each other yeah and you know a lot of uninteresting human bullshit but like in amongst this run which has its ups and it has its downs one James Roberts emerges and he is the author of what we will be talking about so just to cover him very briefly lifelong Transformers nerd grew up on the UK comic was a member of the UK fan club he wrote fanzines alongside Nick Roach artist slash writer in Transformers as well like all these people end up meeting each other through this he wrote an unlicensed Transformers novel called Eugenesis which has a like fake penguin classics cover have you seen it i have seen it it's very funny (laughs) um i I also didn't realize that because obviously he he publishes that kind of like 2002 2003 i think so about 10 years 2001 so 11 years before this ongoing begins yeah and like one review i read of it was like he definitely feels very immature i've not read the book but like from the sounds of it there's a lot of like transformer pregnancy i think there's some yeah so I also, I have, um, he's released a series of notebooks about when he was plotting More Than Meets the Eye, and I, I've been scouring through them. At, at the time of recording, two have been released. I think he's planning two more, at least. But something that comes up a lot is he is very interested in, like, how life works for Transformers, where they come from, how they work, what does transforming sound like, is it like a voice, like, is it like an accent, which is something we'll see in this little run. Um, so he's asking these kinds of questions that I feel that, like, fans do ask, but, like, creators never bother to, 
to really get into it. Just, yeah, don't worry they're just about they're it. just robot cars. That's it. They come to Earth. They hang out with humans. Very rarely is like Cybertron an actual focus. Cybertron is more this like thing that's off in space somewhere. And yeah. when they do do stuff that's set on Cybertron, normally it's kind of like you've done two seasons on Earth, and then eventually you've got back to Cybertron. So through his connection with Nick Roche, who is who's like in IDW at this time, he gets some co-writing gigs around 2007. He proposes this one issue Megatron origin story that goes down so well they bring him into the the inner circle and that story becomes chaos theory which is a it's like two issues towards the end of this 31 issue run which basically sets the tone for everything we're about to talk about it is basically two issues of that comic before that comic exists it is very much a i've been thinking about you and i a lot lately you and i are destined to do this forever type thing optimus prime sitting across from megatron and just having a fucking conversation and a lot of things come up in this that are themes of the comic around like exploring the idea that megatron was this like warrior poet (laughs) who was writing essays to take down a corrupt society that is functionalist and it's all these terms that are like what <laughs> it becomes so big that they then offer him his own series it's originally called war stories which is just supposed to be a lot like spotlights really and he's invited to send his best pitches for these things called war stories he then turns those into issues of more than meets the eye which launches and his influences i think just to get this out of the way at the beginning are pretty apparent like huge doctor who fan huge red dwarf fan huge grant morrison fan his music tastes like uh he created sound soundtracks for every issue you can find a playlist called more than meets the eye or lost light or whatever on spotify i found a lot of cool music through those i would recommend them but yeah so it, it, it's part of this kind of I, this soft british wave that is yeah happening in comics at the same time where like, i remember there was a tweet that went out that was like it's crazy how the three biggest villains in comics mm. of like the last 10 years are all from british writers and they're all like very much like real world translations of like certain things i mean farmer's probably the the furthest one away from that but mm. like the other one is it's like woden from wick Div, and then the other one is is a, a girlfriend of one of the characters in Giant Days, which is a fabulous little comic series about three girls going to university in Sheffield, which I have the complete collection coming to me. But yeah, like, like, the, but it is funny that there's like these, these, the, the biggest villains are not the ones who are doing the more ha ha villain thing, but like a little bit more psychological and a little bit more kind of like grounded in terms of what their villainy is. I guess. Yeah, it, I think it should be said that like Roberts has a. There is definitely a propensity towards really fucked up kinds of ways to murder people. (laughs) Um, Because they're Transformers, so you can do things to them that are horrific, and they might even survive. Yeah, so we said you don't need to know anything about this 31 issue run, really. The only context we should give... You might be reading along with us, you might be listening and be like, what the fuck are they talking about? And just willing to hear us explain it to you. But at the culmination of that 31 issue run, the planet resets and a fuckload of neutrals, not Autobots, not Decepticons, come home to Cybertron, and they outnumber the Autobots and Decepticons 100 to 1. They don't give a shit about the war, they blame both sides equally, they basically got off the planet when it broke out into war, and they've now come home. And there are high tensions, there are protests, there are riots, and Optimus Prime is like, fuck it, I'm out, that'll calm everybody down. If I leave, 
you let them all stay, and you have a bumblebee camp who want to stay and, like, restore order to Cybertron, which is one book called Robots in Disguise, and then you have Rodimus who wants to leave on a ship and go explore the stars and go and try and find these legends who may not exist, and that is our book, More Than Meets the Eye. I think it is undeniable that the other book is the main book in this period of time. It's the book with all the, like, flashy, sexy characters, like, it's the book that gets Prowl, it's the book that gets Bumblebee, it's the book that gets Star, scream a known transformer character like this is the book that it is i think at one point in the run they change it from transformers robots in disguise to just the transformers <laughs> after the reboot whilst more than meets the eye becomes lost light that book becomes optimus prime but it's still kind of like a generic transformers book for the for the most part it's not terrible i would say it might be a step above the run that precedes it but it's just not as interesting as it like this book It's the Guardians of the Galaxy effect, like, when you are playing with toys that people don't care about as much, which I did not mean to be a pun, given the whole thing is a giant toy translation, you have more freedom to do more interesting things. And this is a a Star Trek-inspired, Doctor Who-inspired, Red Dwarf-inspired, like, here are a bunch of fucking weirdos on a ship being incredibly sarcastic to each other and just exploring a weird wacky universe. Yeah, I also think the other huge touchstone for this series that does need to be acknowledged is Justice League International. Yeah. Um, the 1980 <laughs> series which is literally what the cover the f- the cover of issue 1 is riffing on. I do believe that like in the notebook some of the pictures you've shared with me because yeah. you bought these and I've I've not read them but yeah. like I I think they describe Rodimus as a guy gardener type who was the green lantern at the time of that yeah, run he, he's trying to like it's not one-to-one but like certain members of the group he's like this is our batman this is a i think he likens ultra magnus to batman and everyone's afraid of him he's very dour and socially awkward blah 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 and yeah it's the name character because obviously ultra magnus comes in in the movie uh the animated movie and is like the mm. the next leader of the autobot until rodimus well, takes over uh, isn't it kind of that's <laughs> <laughs> the whole last thing don't worry about it so we are to Day, covering the first eight issues of the comic which translates to two of the trade paperbacks and yeah as we mentioned in episode one like i don't think you need a ton of context we will do our best to explain everything as we go and like when we both first read this we didn't know who anyone really was i knew a little bit but constantly naming things that i didn't understand but you just get it through context but if you are so inclined tfwiki.net for the wiki chris mcfeely's the basics for characters yeah, yeah. If, if you do want to read anything that's going to help you in kind of understanding this it really is chaos theory and it is last stand of the wreckers are kind yeah of the that's two. yeah that's his other book that like it's decent but it is such a little ball of like hey are you a hardcore transformers nerd kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> It, I think it's more because these It comes eight up issues, a lot, though, yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of stuff in the, these eight issues that are explicitly a sequel to yes. uh, Last Stand of the Record, Records, which we'll, is quite simple. We'll, we'll, we'll get. So our first three issues have the shared title of Liars A to D, which is a reference to Dexie's Midnight Runner's album Liars A to E, but A and D in this case are Autobot and Decepticon. So <laughs> essentially, issue one, Rodimus is giving his grand sales pitch of like, hey, come with me on the Lost Light. We're going to go and try and find the Knights of Cybertron. He says, you've earned the right to see the universe without a gun in your hand. And we just basically meet various key members of the crew who are like, you know what? Yeah, 
Let's let's leave Cybertron and see the universe. I it think... is interesting that none of this cast are Decepticons, though. Yeah, the other book is very much dealing with like Autobots versus Decepticons versus Unaligned, and it's like a three-way election type thing. Rodimus softly is kind of like, hey, none of that means anything anymore. Let's just go. But there is definitely a distrust for Decepticons at the beginning. <laughs> but it, it, it is also interesting, and we'll get into this, where a lot of the characters they've got are kind of the more morally compromised characters. Everyone has a reason to be on this ship that is not as simple as like, yeah, I think we're going to go find the Knights of Cybertron, which, as far as I know, is a thing he just made up that sounded <laughs> mythological. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, so... it's just funny when like the the cast of characters includes like Drift, Whirl, Cyclonus, who will will get into like all those characters, but all of them are like it's some morally grey people, some morally people grey, former, Decep- former Decepticons, people who are like unaligned, yeah. but for reasons that are just because they weren't around during the war and yeah. and whatnot. So this first issue, I think, works really well as a like meet the crew and like kind of organically shifting between parties of people so the initial like the main three officers on the ship rodimus is your captain formerly hot rod he was created for the transformers animated movie as just kind of like a similar to bumblebee in that he's like the kid appeal character but like a little bit cooler voiced by judd nelson he is sarcastic he's wisecracking I love him a lot. I think a moment from the run before this that really encapsulates his character for me is he goes on this like one-man siege against the Decepticons, just doing shit that shouldn't work, and it all just works out for him, but then he seemingly dies, but then he survives, and it's like, that's kind of Rodimus in a nutshell. He is our faithful captain. He has chosen as his second officer, Ultra Magnus, who as you said, is kind of... He's just Optimus Prime 2.0 as he was designed. Like, he's fucking enormous. He has the same colour scheme. I think in some continuities he's Optimus's brother the ongoing thing with him is he has a very long series of titles that amount to he's the district attorney for the race he's obsessed with the law he's obsessed with grammar it's all written a lot yeah, funnier like, than I could describe yeah, it all, all of the time that he's been introduced up to this point he's kind of the holder of the Tyrest Accords where basically he is a semi-neutral party who comes in to make sure that people are obeying the law essentially yeah it's a big fucking cop and they all kind of dunk on him for what a nerd he is but it's kind of written really well and then the nominal third in command is drift who is a former decepticon who found god <laughs> like cybertronian god and uh, he is covered in swords and we yep. will meet him played by ken watanabe believe it or not in one of the movies yeah uh, much better in, here <laughs> introduced in all hell megatron as like just a let's design a robot who is a samurai essentially yeah he's, um, he's covered in swords he literally yeah. has two he has one on each pocket and then a big one on his back and like he just does cool sword shit all the time and he is very spiritual he is rodimus's best friend and that is your sort of main trio you say this is the main trio they're also kind of ultra magnus is the only one i feel who gets like any significant screen time <laughs> in these first eight issues which is we'll get into my issues with like the structure of these eight issues but it is interesting that you set up kind of like here are three big personalities who are going to be leading the ship Mm -hmm. and then the comic is immediately just like yeah we kind of don't care about any of those right now we care about all these other fucking weirdos we've got yeah i think part of it is rodimus is a reluctant he's reluctant to actually take charge and be the captain kind of thing which we'll get into, but... So, there are doubts that they will get anyone to sign up to this crazy mission, and sure enough, like, 208 people 
go aboard the ship. Which we... is actually a significant portion of the, like, population. Yeah. Just to say, because obviously they, I think there were only about, kind of, like, 500 Autobots and Decepticons yeah. like, left at the time of the, at the end of the war, essentially. So, we kind of just, as I said, we move around people that want to join up, and we have a few little subplots seeded here. So, Ratchet, who is very crotchety and old, he is chief medic, he's a legend, he's repaired every prime, whatever, whatever. He um, is the only the only cast member of this who is like a season one of the 1980s cartoon yeah. cast member like he is the honestly he's... possibly their biggest get <laughs> yeah like he has the bona fides like the first arc of this series is about him and his relationship to kind of like his age and stuff like that but yeah. he is yeah as you say like the the get of the series yeah. the equivalent of like when batman was in justice league international but then very quickly mm. had to be shuffled out <laughs> foreshadowing of <laughs> a little bit later on later on the series he's got a little bit of a bones from star trek vibe you know he's he's grumpy because he's seen so much but he's generally a good person he's lost faith in what he's doing he wants to find a successor his hands are beginning to malfunction so he's like hey i'll join this crew we'll pick up waves and strays i'll recruit a successor cyclonus (laughs) (laughs) boy he is old as shit Basically, he predates the concept of Autobots and Decepticons. He is hardcore old Cybertron. He missed the entire war due to some bullshit. Yeah, we're not getting into the bullshit. No, we're not, we're not. He ended up on the side of the Decepticons, but never considered himself to be one. So he's kind of unsure of his place on this new world, what he was fighting for. Only thing we will get into is he did save Cybertron, technically, (laughs) in the previous arc. So he kind of gets this free pass. Because they think he's a Decepticon, but they're like, yeah, whatever. He stumbles upon a psychotic world who is hyper-violent and all fucked up to look at. He turns from a helicopter into a freak of nature. His face is a single eye, nothing else. He has, like, pincers for hands. He's very awkward looking. He's very, very funny. One of my favourites. And they end up in a bit of a scrap because he's mutilating corpses and he's walked in on doing this. And they fight their way through the rest of the issue and are, like, seen flying around while other people are talking. And through various shenanigans, they will end up knocking each other out and being brought aboard the ship. And then getting into some less serious characters. Your fave, Chrome Dome. (laughs) (laughs) And his boyfriend, Rewind. Not really established as his boyfriend at this point, but that will just come to be eventually. (laughs) Not, like, explicitly written to not be his boyfriend, but it's not, like, played up as it will be. I just put this on the table now. I do think that Chrome Dome is kind of, like, the the greatest achievement of this entire run. I think it is such, like, a... There's other stuff that's really, really good in this run, but Chrome Dome and Rewind story is kind of the one that touched me the most and was Mm -hmm. kind of, like, my favourite through line of the entire thing. But also, you can tell that it's something that Rob has got a lot of room to play with, because in the continuity, Chrome Dome is a, what is known as an a headmaster which is basically like some weird bullshit after g1 where like or like around the end of g1 where they introduced the headmasters who were robots that had like heads that could get put on their bodies and stuff like that and it was a very late era one but because of that i feel like he is a lot more malleable for roberts to kind of do what he wants with because yes he is a g1 transformer from the cartoons but like no one gives a shit about chrome dome in reality like chrome dome <laughs> is way 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 down the list in terms of characters who are going to be put in the movies would ever be considered to be the main cast of a tv show i'm genuinely like i'm looking at the toys for chrome dome right now because i really want a chrome dome toy and all of them are kind of shitty <laughs> <laughs> he's never really had like a really good toy apart from there are unofficial 
idw designed ones yeah, which yeah. are like really really cool and come with rewind but like we just need to wait for hasbro to do an idw version of the, the character but like yeah because he is pulling from the weirder corners of the first generation of transformers he is able to kind of like do these depths and create like entire backstories of some of these characters yeah and, um, and chrome dome has one of the more elaborate and sort of like laid on thick mysteries at the start in that so prowl who is not in the book but is enormously important to the book because <laughs> he stays on cybertron he is like very shady and he turns into a police car and it's appropriate because he's a cop he wants chrome Dome to stay behind and use his talents quote unquote and we will get into what that is as we go but he can do something that is a little bit morally unethical and prowl wants to use that and he's like nope fuck you i'm out of here and i'm taking my tiny boyfriend who records everything that happens ever with me and along the way they meet tailgate who is a tiny little robot who spent six million years offline underground slept through the war basically yeah he was supposedly heading towards the first arc which was a, a spaceship leaving cybertron with a whole bunch of robots on it he missed he missed that flight and has woken up and basically is spinning the tales of like how he was hand chosen for this mission to go off with it's nova prime isn't nova it? Prime, he was, he, yeah. nova prime he was going off who with at the and... time was like cybertron's greatest wonderful man and then became like an unspeakably horrific like colonizer <laughs> so he doesn't know uh, that also on this ship would have been he would have been on the ship with cyclonus but he wasn't but because they're both kind of like elder cybertronians they kind of do spend a lot of time together yeah over the course of the run like it's it's a nice pairing between the two of them he's gonna kind of end up as audience surrogate as well because he literally doesn't know anything that's going on and we get this wonderful line at some point of like somebody literally had to draw him a picture of optimus prime the other day (laughs) so he comes to and and is is found by chrome dome and rewind at the same time that cyclonus and world crash down so the five of them end up on board and then some people are boarding the more like traditional way brainstorm who was a mad scientist with a suspicious briefcase also another very funny one swerve who is just a little fucking menace he ends up as a bartender he just is constantly doing pranks he's great is is like the comedy force of the entire series like he (laughs) is one of the funniest characters in the entire comic doesn't know when to shut up there's an awful lot of jokes around like we made a bet that you wouldn't be able to shut up and he is like physically incapable of like continuing with that bet obviously there's a lot of stuff that is seeded with these characters that is hard to kind of talk about without spoiling where their character arcs go but it is fun on a rewatch to kind of like see when they say things especially now i'm reading the other book and i'm seeing the other bar that is yes. starting on Cybertron. We have a bar in both books, and it was a complete <laughs> coincidence, according to the notebooks. <laughs> but you know, you need somewhere for people to congregate, don't you? Especially in, a, in books that are not explicitly us versus them kind of thing. And then finally, Rung, who is a psychiatrist, and a lot of the fandom are absolutely cannot be told otherwise that he is an author insert character. Robert strenuously denies it, but there you go. Nobody remembers him, basically. <laughs> no one some can remember Some his... people call him Rang, some people call him, like, there's, there's lots of names, but basically, like, there are characters who are like, Rung is a psychiatrist, or a, I don't know if there's like a subtraining word for it, but basically because he is a psychiatrist, he's got a history with an awful lot of characters uh, on board this ship, but most of them don't even remember him. Yeah, One uh, of them's is... been his patient for 600 years 
person doesn't remember his name yes. or who he is. Uh, there is a there is a funny moment with Red Alert who has kind of been running the security checks on everyone as yeah. they as they head inside the, the the Lost Light, and later on in the in the series, Rung kind of goes through kind of like how many sessions it took oh, for so Red Alert <laughs> Red Alert to go like, and it's like. It's it was like, like after seven sessions, he told me his name. After ninety-seven, he showed me his face. After like I don't know, a hundred and ninety-seven, he told me his real name. He told me he stopped recording our sessions, and then hundreds later, it's like he stopped recording our sessions. <laughs> <laughs> All very good. Rung has the serial number one million, which is neat, and he has a little box of ships. And he gets hurt a lot, but he's always okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's our for now. Our cast. Everyone gathers to watch the ship take off. It appears to explode. Everyone on Cybertron thinks they're dead. <laughs> Instead, their crazy sci-fi engines just malfunctioned, threw them off course. And we get this little message playing at the end of the first issue. Classic first issue in a run shit. A cryptic thing of like, don't open the coffin, don't let them take skids, don't go to Delphi, and do not, I repeat, do not look in the basement. I think it's an, it's a really good first issue, which I feel the need to say because I think the theme of the next <laughs> several is, while there's some good stuff here, boy is this not new reader friendly and kind of the pacing of it is bizarre. Yeah, I think two and three are actually pretty good and, like, self-contained. They're kind of exactly what they need to be. But yeah, like, this first issue introduces everyone, you kind of get a feel for everyone, and then in a normal comic, you would then spend kind of, like, the next... 10 to 15 issues probably kind of like fleshing out the cast going on weird adventures drilling down into like one character at a time but like having the whole cast kind of interacting and that's not what this book does because no. you go to ep- issue two mm-hmm. or episode two as i'm sure james roberts is one of those people who like refers to everything as episodes <laughs> he does where basically because this explosion has happened basically kind of quarter of all the people on board the ship have been injected into space don't worry because they're robots they're actually kind of okay they just need to go i think two of them die two of them die but both of them die because of a character who's going to get introduced very soon yeah but yeah so they go off down to the closest planet to kind of go find these these 50 50 transformers who have been ejected from the ship but happening at the same time we introduced to our 13th cast member yeah i'd call it a core 13 there are a lot of others but like these are the 13 that matter in my opinion yeah like we will kind of like spec it up to kind of like 15 16 i guess as the as the series goes on but we want to hold those secrets back for when we get to those characters yeah they are main characters but not for the entire run essentially but yeah skids is introduced skids feels like such an interesting hook to introduce in your second issue because he is Mm. a he is escaping from something we do not know what like literally the first panel he's in there is like what is it that's scrolled on to the you have escaped they're all around you yes and in his hand is the blowtorch that wrote it um (laughs) which is a great detail he has amnesia because it's a comic book and somebody has to he does not remember the last 12 months and in his hand at all times is a gun and he does not know he is holding it so yeah he crash lands coincidentally on the same planet that they've all come down to his ship turns into a series of big gold robots that keep saying 1984 that's what they are all around you means 1984 is not a reference to 1984 but (laughs) hey he 
basically very stylishly murders them all because he's the coolest. Roberts likens him to James Bond. He can kind of just do everything, but he is charming. He's not like a dick about it. He describes himself as a theoretician, which we will come to learn means basically anything that he tries <laughs> to do, he can he, do. He's really good at it. His amnesia is a, is a huge ongoing dangling thread of the whole book. He was meant to debut in issue one. The big fight between Whirl and Cyclonus was instead this this crash landing. It was decided there was enough going on in issue one, so they moved him back to two. I think that's for the best, because when we're not meeting skids and he's coming aboard and everything, we're talking to more, we're getting more, like, people talking to each other. Tailgate is getting exposition on Whirl and Ratchet, and Cyclonus is promising to Whirl he'll kill him one day. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a lot of character stuff kind of going on in these issues at the same time as this going on, but I do think, whilst I enjoy Skid showing up in this, and it is smart to move it into issue two, it does create this kind of, like, almost false perception that Skids is the main driving point now, mm. in some ways, where Skids is one part of a many-faceted story that's going on at the same time. He is definitely, and one that was was planned from the early days. It should be said, Skids had not appeared in IDW Comics up to now. He's like an old character that hadn't been around for a while, and they worked that in of like, oh, everyone thought you were dead. I think for the most part, this entire cast is characters who've appeared beforehand. Brainstorm and Chrome Dumb are two characters that Roberts has created in other books and have appeared kind of like sporadically in single panels, but definitely haven't been I say created like he's inserted them into the books yeah, as yeah, characters yeah. he wants to uh, wants to to write but they never had anything to do but like Rodimus Ultra Magnus have had uh, like stories in other books like Whirl has been around a little bit uh, yeah, Whirl is a surprisingly tenured character given he's another one that like is in it and then vanishes for a really fucking long time so you've got carte blanche to completely change his backstory and yeah. boy does he yes but we, like we Swerve know is... at the point at this point actually I should say because it is in the previous run what Whirl is perhaps most famous for when Megatron was captured as a political prisoner, a non-violent political prisoner, Whirl almost killed him. Yes. <laughs> Beat him to death in an interrogation room. He's not quite right in the head as well, but we love him anyway. And he has this, yeah, Cyclonus goes to Rodimus and, and makes his case for being allowed to be on the crew. And Rodimus is like, yeah, okay, fuck it. <laughs> but you two have to make up. And they he pulls him in for a hug and then whispers in his ear, I'll kill you one day. <laughs> Which is a wonderful thing to have uh, to have hanging there. Rodimus assures the crew that they are going to get back on track. And then there is a radio broadcast saying, hey, we have a spark eater aboard. And we get perhaps my favourite panel in the whole fucking book with Rodimus very slowly smiling and just saying cool uh, because this is just dumb space adventure shit and he's all for it he doesn't like sitting around and debating the nature of politics he wants to get out there and do things and uh yeah we have a horror yeah. movie monster on board yeah that's the thing it's like these three issues do kind of organically all lead into each other it's like here's the introduction to everyone there's an explosion at the end of issue one issue two what was the cause of the explosion oh the engine kind of like got weird and a and a duo bot got stuck inside the engine okay yeah. one of the two it, the book never really make it clear which one got actually stuck in the got stuck in the engine obviously it's a, a very popular joke is to have two characters with the same name it's a big one on lost as well where no one can remember the the two characters names i even it's been so long since i watched lost now that i cannot remember what the two joke names were but yeah then it leads on to like we need to find the autobots here's skids he's shown up and then the end of the issue is the other duo bot has been murdered by a spark eater yeah essentially which yeah just kind of a horror monster it like makes your brain come out of your mouth 
and then eat your spark, which is your soul-heart hybrid thing. <laughs> and then issue three is kind of... There's nothing else in this issue, really, is there? It really no. is just the spark eater. Basically, the most of the crew are told to go find a, a room in pairs. They're all locked in, which leads to, like, Cyclonus and Tailgate are stuck together, which is a thing that will happen for a long time. Tailgate will relentlessly try and befriend Cyclonus. Cyclonus will constantly tell him to fuck off, but then also, like, clearly has an attachment to him. Cyclonus fills Tailgate in on the events of the war, and at the end of this issue, Tailgate actually tells somebody that he wants to be a Decepticon, because Cyclonus has spun him a bit of a warped version of things. Again, he's not a Decepticon, but, you know. But I think that is the kind of the core interesting thing of this run, is kind of, Roberts is obviously interested in the reasons why the Decepticons exist, and when you do lay out the reason the Decepticons exist, it is kind of this fascinating... They were right. They were right. That's the thing, is like, yeah, there was a corrupt Senate, but the issue is Megatron's response to the corrupt Senate was to go too far. Obviously, the the, the counter-argument to that is the Autobots are very much like, trying to destroy Master's House with the Master's Tools is what they're trying to do, which is obviously not something that can technically happen, and that's kind of the core theoretical, like the key ideological battle between these two parties is like, the Autobots want to take what already exists and try and fix it, whereas the Decepticons are like, we need to blow all of it up and, and take it to the ground. But obviously the Decepticons are coded as more authoritarian, more violent. And even when you have issues before this where they're talking about like what Megatron wants to do once the Decepticons mm. have won, it is around like he's like, we'll still be a totalitarian state, but we're just going to do Peace it in a way. through tyranny fair. is yes. his whole thing. Yeah. So put a pin in all of that. Swerve and Skids are the only other pairing that we see. I, there isn't time. We, we see we see Whirl and his roommate that he locks out yes, as well. Yes, true, true. He's like, oh, I, I promise at first I was just pretending to not be able to hear you, but now the door won't work and he's holding it closed. He's great. Swerve <laughs> and Skids find the bar that Skids will adopt as his. Skids will be like, Eh, I think I'm going to go where the action is and like just sort of escapes to the roof. Skids has not been invited into the group that's like Chrome Dome, Trailbreaker, Rewind, Drift, Ultra Magnus, Ratchet, who are like yeah. trying to take on the to, the to solve agent. what's going on. Yeah, so Skids will will find his way into the main thing. But the main thing is we are going to learn what Chrome Dome's deal is, and why don't you tell us about that then? Chrome Dome is a Nemo surgeon. Yes. I believe is the pronunciation. Yeah. Which basically means he is able to, like, he extends needles from his fingers and then goes into a Transformer's brain and basically, like, relives their memories. And can he project them at, in certain ways or anything like that? Or is I don't it just, like, think so. I obviously, it was more of a visual, visual representation. Like, I, I think this issue's got a really cool moment in the mm. artwork. Uh, just to shout out Alex Milne, who's drawn all three of these first issues, is probably one of my favourite of the the artists that they have on these Transformers books, Nick Roche being another one who I think yeah. is like really, really good. You can really um, tell when the artist has changed because everyone looks a bit shittier. <laughs> <laughs> but there's the re- the really cool panel in this when Chrome Dome is talking about like what happens when the, someone's been dead for a while and he's like, oh, things get a little bit sketchier and the artwork is literally like sketched images. Yeah, it's like jagged all black and white kind of thing all horrible. But yeah, Rewind is not a fan of Chrome Dome in Injecting. Yeah, which is the kind of the interesting dichotomy is that Rewind is an Autobot who likes to collect. He's an archivist. Mem- he's an archivist. He turns so he, into a USB stick and he has a little recorder on the side of his head and he records everything all the time. And he, in issue one, he secretly, before they takes off, buys what will be revealed to be basically snuff films. 
he wants all the footage he can get his hands on, basically. So you have yeah. both of them in some ways are playing with controversial past and both judge the other for their version of it. Yeah, which is really interesting because also, as as is kind of, we've been hinting at they're in a relationship if, for, mm-hmm. for all but better term for it at this point. And so part of the kind of subtext for this is that there is someone pulling strings where basically they want Chromedome to keep on injecting. And so yes. they are manufacturing circumstances aboard the Lost Light that will force him to to do it and that is kind of what chrome dome's deal is for a good long while and yeah. and this is this isn't even one that has been set up by this this third party this is literally just they didn't check the room isn't it and that there was a spark eater aboard yeah we'll find out how that all actually came to happen much later i think so they chrome dome sees the the victim's last moments confirms it is a spark eater they go on a little like scavenger hunt to try and get it it's fun it's not really worth talking about in in huge terms essentially they have a theory it will go after the brightest spark which rodimus assumes is him it instead goes after rung who rodimus uses as bait and then they trigger the same thing that happened with the with the engine and he like puts it inside of the engine to kill it kind of thing yeah yeah, and it's we fun. Can, we, it's... Yeah, like it, it's a good first issue. Again, all three of the sorry, it's the first issue, the first arc, all three of these lead on organically, yeah. and you kind of end it, and you go like, "Boy, that was a cool sequential, like three part story." Can't yeah. wait to see what crazy space adventures <laughs> Rodimus leads us on next time. And then and like, I know what you're thinking, reader. A core thirteen—that's a crazy fucking number to say <laughs> a core number of. And I've just had to hear a lot of names of characters. What if <laughs> we spent several issues away from the ship, meeting an entire new bunch of people who will not come back most of them this is the delphi arc yeah um, and i think this is kind of my main sticking point in the structure of this because this is it's a good arc i think it's good it just needed to happen later yes because that's the thing is like when you read it like the actual payoff for this because it really is a really nice character centric story based on ratchet this is really well done it gives him like a really nice kind of clean through line uh, like what they reveal in the next issue that it is the issue title is how ratchet got his hands back yeah and it's basically about him coming to terms with his age trying to find a replacement because his hands are kind of getting old there is a great scene where he is <laughs> who's he doing surgery on is he uh, uh he's talking to tailgate i think he's talking or to tailgate Rung, yeah. actually maybe one of the two he hammers his hand to try and get it to work and it, and it's very like sorry just one second and then he just whacks it with a giant mallet <laughs> and he's like um actually maybe i don't need this surgery you were gonna do on me yes so we spend two issues essentially in an episode of star trek a place called delphi or delphi i don't know how it's supposed to be said it's a medical outpost on the edge of decepticon justice division territory put a pin on it they're scary they're bad people we both have a toy of one of them yeah their leader is very strong favorite of mine (laughs) (laughs) it's the medical outpost and one of the uh, a nurse first aid is basically keeping a journal and is like fucked up shit is happening here and he secretly transmits it out in a way that not many people pay attention to ratchet is one of them he notices there is a suspiciously steadily rise in death toll coming out of this medical outpost. So he takes a landing party down of himself, Drift, and 
are red shirt pipes. <laughs> <laughs> Bad thing number one is taking along a unknown third party on this. Yeah. I understand there are 200 people aboard this ship, yeah. but... Could this not have real... been one of our main 13? Yeah, absolutely. should say Ratchet and Drift are set off as, like, they bicker a lot because it is man of science, man of faith kind of thing. Ratchet believes in everything being rational. Uh, Drift is looking for a deeper spiritual meaning to the universe. Ratchet is not here because he cares about the Knights of Cybertron. He is here, no. as you said earlier on, like he wants to find people to help, and yeah. that is why when he sees this notice from Delphi that like people are dying, and he's like, right, we need to go investigate this. But, I mean, obviously, the thing is, like, this two issues gets really dark. Yeah. Like, this is the first inkling of, like, how dark this series is going to get. And this is already a series where, like, someone has had their soul ripped out of their chest through their <laughs> mouth, essentially. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there is still moments of humor where, like, they arrive at the, the outpost and there is an X on the door and they've been, like, talking Pipes up this entire time and Pipes decides to, like, crash through the door. And then when he crashes through, they're just like, do you not recognize the universal plague symbol? What the fuck are you doing, dude? Yeah, and he's covered in, in corpses bad shit has happened here. People have started crying themselves to death. They are crying rust. They are leaking rust from every orifice and then they are dying. One of these rusty zombie looking motherfuckers shuffles towards them. Drift murders the fuck out of it with his swords. Turns out it's actually just a patient being treated who's wandered away from his bed. So yeah, Drift has just murdered a guy. But hey. Yeah, so we have this this mystery of this, this outbreak on this remote location which is right on dangerous territory and we have this this series of medics and as we said ratchet is on a mission to find his successor and the leader of this group of med medics farmer as in pharmaceutical i suppose i say this because one of them is called ambulon who we assume is from ambulance and then the big joke is he turns into a leg as in ambulate to walk amble etc so yeah which is i mean but they, they, that's also kind of getting into a core theme of this entire thing like you mentioned a functionist society earlier mm -hmm. on which is basically the idea that transformer society your role is defined by what you transform into yeah form befits function i yeah, believe so that's what they will actually yeah. say and like if you turn into mining equipment you are a miner if you which turn is, into a microscope you are a scientist yes which is exactly what megatron was like megatron was he had like a drill arm or whatever originally didn't he or uh possibly yeah he wasn't a huge gun at that point. no he was not so yeah there's this group of medics farmer is a legend ratchet is like right he's perfect we'll help them all what's going on here we'll bring them aboard farmer will take over for me all hunky-dory right no they all start getting infected one by one <laughs> and they are not really sure how it's happening because first aid who's been keeping the diary has been in much contact with the infected and is showing no symptoms himself through some shenanigans they will figure out that it lays dormant until you transform so... yes and they were lucky enough that first aid his transformation cog is like off kilter or like run dry like he can't yeah. he can't transform is is the whole thing with first aid yeah. and they figure out that ambulon also is unable to, or like doesn't want to transform because at one point they need to carry pipes back into the main room and ratchet realizes that like he didn't turn into an ambulance he literally just carried this guy yeah. from he's room embarrassed. to room he does he's a, he turns into a leg yeah because he um... is part of a he mentions he's part of like a combiner yeah he's a he like was supposed to be part of a combiner he is also it's kind of subtle but he is covered in little purple patches and he's otherwise red and yellow he is a former decepticon who had a rush paint job to convert to be an autobot basically <laughs> <laughs> a thing that like most people don't need to know it's fine 
so yeah, this is all happening. Basically, our whole main party who have come down end up infected as well. They're all accusing each other. It turns out Farmer was behind all of it, and he has been harvesting organs for the Decepticon Justice Division, and that is why the rate of, of mortality is going at this steady rate, because it's like, right, this time when I come to see you, I want 10 of them. Next time I want 20 of, you know, whatever, whatever, yeah. whatever. And specifically, he's harvesting transformation cogs, which again is yes. like, they get... Roberts is obsessed with the actual real-world implications of a species that would transform, and the idea, so like, basically there is mm-hmm. a member of the Decepticon Justice Division who is addicted to transforming, and is like running through their transformation cog an awful lot. And there's and a moment where he like there's a distance of like 10 feet and he could walk it and he turns into his tank and drives it kind of thing so it's an interesting concept like it it makes him sound a lot sillier than he comes across yes but but there is this whole thing in this where he is obviously obsessed with like he will toss out ideas and concepts Mm -hmm. but they make everything so much richer yes uh, for this and obviously that whole thing of being addicted transformation cogs is contrasted with the fact that like someone here is a broken transformation cog ambulant doesn't want to transform far Farmer isn't going to transform because he knows what triggers the disease. Yeah. Two Decepticons nominally show up who have had their transformation cogs removed. The concept of transformation as almost like religious experience yeah. is kind yeah. of... These are questions that at the time he writes them in the notebook are rhetorical and then it's all just kind of like, what does it mean to transform? Like, is it a deeply personal thing? And he asks questions like, is it impolite to ask people what they turn into? And then he asks the opposite, or, or, you know, is it the opposite? Is it like asking, what's your job? And he clearly lands on the side of it's rude, because we do have a bunch of side plots where people are trying to speculate what people turn into. Yeah, like, like one of the main characters, like, no one knows what yeah. one of the main characters turns into, and it is a hugely important plot point of the entire series. So in... <laughs> The part that makes this even messier. So, like, the version we're describing sounds cool and simple enough. One of the patients being treated here is one Fortress Maximus, who has been super dead since (laughs) Last Stand of the Wreckers. He's fucking enormous. He was a prison warden and then an extremely powerful Decepticon called Overlord. Beat the ever-loving fuck out of him. Tortured him in many, many horrific ways. Was assumed dead. Was being treated on Delphi. And that's messy. This is a character who is not really in the book was intended to die just in the issues we're talking about so like you're paying off a book you wrote that is separate you assume people have read it's a little it makes this whole section a bit messier but what can you do well you are taking this cast of kind of 13 characters you're introducing three more characters obviously one of those gets turned into a villain but then you're also reintroducing a character who isn't really going to be a main character. Like, First Aid and Ambulon do hang out with the Lost Light for a while, don't There are, like, a bunch of people who will talk once every four issues. They're around, you don't really need to know about them. But, like, yeah, Fortress Maximus is, like, this is, like, a a beloved toy because he's fucking huge and he turns into wacky shit. He wakes up, he's, he's all kinds of fucked up. He brutally murders two Decepticons in the exact same manner that Overlord murdered somebody <laughs> in Last Stand of the Wreckers. So we have this kind of, you have become the thing you hate kind of thing. He's hyper-violent and he will end up coming aboard and it's sort of, it's all just to pay off one big issue of stuff and him being here like i understand it's like a plot device to get him into the book but it kind of muddies this 
these two issues even further because the, yeah and the thing is it's a trick he does twice because there's yeah. another character who's going to be introduced in a couple of issues who is the exact same situation where yeah. they were also on Garrus 9 the planet from Last Hand of the Wreckers <laughs> was also tortured by Overlord and will also be found by a group of characters yeah 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 uh, well I mean a thing a thing here is that like most of this is happening off the ship we do occasionally flash back to the ship and we get again more little character moments of like Tailgate is being talked out of becoming a Decepticon by being shown highlights of the war. He's pissed at Cyclonus, who just kicks the shit out of him for daring him to shout yeah, at him. Which is a which is a really brutal panel. It is. is like the seeing this tiny tailgate kind of like crawled up and like is getting into elements of domestic violence. Which obviously, like, if, if you are not comfortable with such things, obviously, like, fully respect if you if you don't want to read or listen along. These elements do get better, but like, it is a subtext of of yeah. some of the relationships is definitely domestic abuse. Yeah. So he then hards swings the other way he asks ultra magnus if he can become an autobot so he's like yeah sure we just have to go through the entire autobot code line (laughs) by line and i fucking adore how this is written i don't know just there's just something about the degree to which he is a stickler for the language of it that i just find delicious there are so many jokes and i can't even remember whether or not they're in the actual series or if they're in the kind of the spotlights that are happening but obviously anytime swerve is speaking to someone everyone is going like oh have you had fun with like your training and then he'll go like yeah we spent like two and a half hours discussing a semicolon and then at the end of two and a half hours the semicolon wasn't even important at all yeah. it was it was like a mistake <laughs> exactly it's like and it turned out it wasn't relevant <laughs> but part of this is Basically, Tailgate dozes off while being talked to. When he sort of snaps out of it, Magnus is on section 19, subsection 80, paragraph 5, aka 1985, and he's like, wait, that's a similar number than I've... Because he's heard all these 1984s coming from the robots, uh, the, the gold robots that were chasing skids. And he's like, what's 1984? And he says, oh, that's redundant. It's about something that nobody does anymore. It's called Thought Warfare. Mm. put a pin in foreshadowing (laughs) yes exactly and we also get Rung is talking to Red Alert who can hear sounds coming from the lowest point in the ship and he records it and when it is sped up it is somebody saying kill me and he put a pin in it (laughs) yep there are mentions of his past parent basically before the war broke out he was paranoid about the Decepticons and he believes a thing called the Institute exists put a pin in it he also says he he gave a list of 207 crewmates he does not trust. That are 208 crewmates. <laughs> he is included in the 208. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Anyway, the reason I say that all of this is messy is because we go from, like, they're not coming back to the ship enough and we're not getting enough time with, like, Rodimus, etc. to, like, we've had this juicy reveal that Farmer's behind it all because of course he is. And then we go, like, 10 pages before we get back to the confrontation and it really is quite frustrating. <laughs> Yeah, it is weirdly paced. And obviously the end of this is quite nice because there's callbacks to, in the very early, early going of the comic book series, there was an awful lot of like the Autobots having to blend in on Earth <laughs> and Ratchet's disguise as this kind of like, kind of kindly old man, which he uses now to like help him. They can like holographically project little yes. 
little humans. To make I say it look- project, oh, they, I think they can interact with the world because it catches the antidote, which is chucked off the side. There are frequently moments in those early series where like, they need to go investigate something, but they can't go down there because they're either too big in their robot form or too big in the yeah. vehicle form. So they send down the kind of the hard light hologram. They're silly little things. They could be brand new that he's made up. They could be things he's dragging back out. Functionally, it does not matter. It doesn't, but like, we will get into the fact that a lot of these characters have human oh, forms yes. that oh, they can turn that's into. that's what I mean. This is a throwaway thing he does once here, but will then be used for a series of psychologically interesting slash funny moments much later. They have a brief struggle. Farmer's left hanging off the roof. Ratchet has infected him and is yeah. basically saying, like, either you will die, you might survive if you fall off this thing, or you can transform into a jet and fly off and but then knows you will you definitely be infected, yeah. He tries to shoot Ratchet in the back, Drift saves him, they catch the antidote, Drift cuts Farmer's hands off, and then Ratchet inherits his hands. He was adamant that he didn't want new hands. He was just sort of of the opinion, look, I've lived a really long time, when these things break, that's my time to go. But then he accepts, hey, you can have some new hands. And yeah. first aid is then picked to be his candidate because when all the fuck when Farmer was revealed as the villain, he like turned off life support and first aid very quickly was like coordinating how to keep everybody alive and that impressed Ratchet. And it's like, yeah, this would be a really cool little two issue thing to have done at say issues eight to ten or ten to twelve. Or even could you condense just the Delphi stuff into one issue and Maybe. done and done a better structured on ship thing maybe. rather you could have made it like the annual maybe i don't know maybe that, that's mean, coming up but yes it, which yeah. it, it's ship shenanigans isn't it which is the interesting thing where it like is. this is and obviously like the stuff in this issue is important for yeah. the overall run it is just weirdly timed where it's like you've had three issues with the crew and then you've had like a side story focused on one character really a big away it's... mission a lot of new faces a lot of references to a completely different thing i really enjoy these two now that i know everybody and all the plot beats and everything so coming back to it i mean no but i do very vividly remember the first time i read all of these these two really were fucking me up a bit and i was like oh i don't know if i can keep straight on this book i don't know who anyone is kind of thing yeah there's too many characters we're now at kind of like 20 characters that i'm having to keep track of and know the name of and i can do that now yeah because they're all visually distinct but like it really is tough going if this is your first time and they all do look very similar for the most part i do think it would play really well as a little anime like a lot of people have said this should be an animated show i think that's the thing is i think Obviously, this isn't to say that Transformers doesn't work in a comic, because obviously it very much does. There are people who are massively, massively into this. But there is something to be said for seeing these characters in motion, seeing the size discrepancy, giving them a voice. That definitely Mm -hmm. helps your ability to differentiate them from each other. And I think Delphi would really work as a, like, special one-off episode kind of thing in a way that, like, a two-issue comic book diversion can be a little bit more jarring than when you're doing it on TV. And Yeah, um, I think, it's, I think it's, it is more just the series hasn't established a rhythm yet and yeah. you have something which feels so antithetical to what the rhythm is going to be, or at least in <laughs> hindsight it's very obviously this is not what the rhythm is going to be, but the rhythm is so choppy because, as I'm sure you're about to get onto, issue six is a one-issue focused on the events on the ship, but is kind of mostly focusing on Fortress Maximus being yes. brought aboard. So Ratchet took note of how incredibly violently he murdered those two Decepticons and was like, hmm, you might need therapy. So Rung is interviewing Fortress Maximus in this one 
issue we're going over his trauma from being horrifically beaten tortured kept alive just barely for a really long time the therapy is not working he snaps he starts shooting people no fatalities he takes rung hostage and is holed up in rung's office and he demands that rodimus turn the ship around go to cybertron he wants answers on why it took three years for anybody to send for help for him in the events of the last stand of the wreckers another Which one is not unreasonable no no he has a right to be pissed he i think he phrases it as three years to get to the top of prowl's to-do list which is like yeah perfect it's again relying a lot on you knowing what they're talking about <laughs> but they do recreate or reuse some art to like illustrate what he's talking about a bit and by having him using therapy and having rung pry information out of him and stuff you do get just enough exposition but it's like you know coming straight off the back of that two-parter into this it's like oof but oof but we do at least have a lot of the main cast here because also locked in the room with them is well and they're <laughs> like hopefully it's someone rational oh fuck it's well because well <laughs> i have always read it that Whirl has basically a death wish, is mildly suicidal, was potentially trying to kill himself in that first issue when when Cyclonus comes across him. Nothing to confirm that, it's just how I've read it. Because he basically taunts the fuck out of Maximus, is calling him a failure, saying he can't hit for shit, while he's actually like caving in his skull with every punch kind of thing. Whirl is so interesting because they're picking up on... Because Whirl was with the Wreckers for a while. Like When mm. the Wreckers would show up in the old continuity... Not the old continuity, like the older issues in this continuity. The, the Wreckers, by the by, are just kind of like badass commando group that you send yeah. them in to do what no one else can kind of thing. Yeah, but they're also vaguely like the Suicide Squad where basically like the membership is not long and most Wreckers <laughs> will die within like a, a mission or two. Yeah. And like the ones who survive are ones who kind of hit legendary status. There's an awful lot of talk around. I mean, like, like we didn't touch on it, but like the way that First Aid got the the message out in the last issue was using a the... basically a dormant podcast feed. Or... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> for like the wreckers declassified because iron fist aka physitron basically was a massive fan of the wreckers and wrote these things and put them out under a pen name and yeah they're all subscribed and they it's beamed directly into their brains and yeah the wreckers are like the really cool group like pe- people are like massively into them and well was one of them has been in issues credited as being a wrecker but then is not on the wreckers as part of last end of the wreckers i think no. roberts has like written there's a, a there's a there's a prose story called bullets which is slapped in with last stand of the wreckers and it it's very dense but there's a lot of stuff in it that is paid off in this book like there is mention of a Agent 113, which is a, a mystery that will persist for a long time. 113 refers to issue 113 of the Marvel Transformers comics, and it's like the one that made him a super fan. So 113 recurs throughout all of his writings in various combinations. So he basically established in that story bullets that Well was kicked out of the records for and being did unstable. not take it well. Yes, he's he's yeah. not well. <laughs> and then what this issue reveals is even after he was expelled, he was basically put in charge of caring for one of the wreckers who was very massively hurt during Last Stand of the Wreckers mm-hmm. and ends up trying to give him assisted suicide, but is <laughs> yes. really murdered because this person is unconscious and unable to ask for assisted suicide. Uh-huh. Um, and that is what... Well, is in, it ends up in prison or like what... I forget like what Well's situation is when we actually hit the beginning of the book. Because like, I think well, he's just kind of a, a a loose 
Yeah, because, I mean, as part of this, while trying to stall for time for our good heroes to, to rescue Rung, they're all trying to get into, like, their past and everything, and Whirl offers to go first in order to save Rung's life. And he basically reveals he started life as a watchmaker. He was intimidated out of doing this because he was rejecting his function, as we've as we've talked about. He was a victim of what he calls Emperata, which will be it's a new term, it will be explained later. He's coerced into working for the Senate, he kicked the shit out of Megatron, Optimus scooped him out of this, and as he phrases it, he wanted to recruit him to the Autobots before Megatron could recruit him to the Decepticons. He's in the war, he's a flight instructor or something like that. He joins the Wreckers, he's kicked out of the Wreckers, and then I think he's just kind of a loose cannon, faintly helping the Autobots, but like, on his last kind of <laughs> chance. Yeah, and it's, it's like, is that trope of like, the most violent, defensive one in the room opens up and has a very tragic backstory. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's something that Roberts is really good at, is that I think Whirl probably is the most kind of morally compromised character in the main cast, and it is a really tight line to kind of, like, make him sympathetic at the same time. Cause... There, there is a heart in there, but he is most of the time incredibly callous, and, like, he opens this hostage moment with like there's still time for you to do the decent thing and kill yourself is what he says to fortress maximus and but then like when it comes down to fort max wanting to kill rung for refusing to break his hippocratic oath he steps in and he's like oh well you never threatened to kill my friend before or whatever and rung's like friend (laughs) (laughs) there's even stuff like when fortune maximus is like punching whirl in the face and whirl is like going like is that all you got and then fortune maximus is like i punch you twice i punch you one more time like i will split your spark in two yeah and he's and he does stop talking after two he's like oh that's (laughs) right because a third would kill you basically But yeah, while this is going on, Rewind and Swerve are on the outside of the ship. They are on rivet duty. This was originally painting the name of the ship on the side of the ship. And before that, it was just painting the ship. I cannot imagine it as anything but an homage to the opening of Red Dwarf, where two people are painting the words Red Dwarf on the side of Red Dwarf. They basically figure out that Rung's office has a window, therefore you can get to the window, use the rivet gun to shoot through... They can't get a clean shot, so Rewind projects some of his archive of horrific murders, including some of what happened on Garrus 9. Fortress Maximus has a fucking breakdown, and then Swerve accidentally shoots Rung and blows his head off. (laughs) And then Whirl stabs Fort Max, and he was supposed to die here. And they were going to name the ship Maximus, but I think editorial were like, you cannot kill Fortress Maximus, so... Yeah. He is locked up instead. It's fine, it's a neat idea, you know, like a little hostage situation, a, a not quite a bottle episode, but getting to know people, again, I just think Fort Max's presence in general just stinks up the joint a yeah. bit. Yeah, <laughs> like there's there's fun stuff in this, you've got Chrome Dome showing his ability to like name an Autobot based on the sound of their transformation, which, yes. is, <laughs> which is really fun. You've got Ratchet and First Aid trying to figure out like what the the similarities between everyone that Fortress Maximus shot and they realise that they've got the same coloration as Overlord. Yes. Um, <laughs> like, there's there's fun stuff happening on the sides of this, but this is kind of the most focused one that's on the, the kind of, yeah. like, the main cast. Like, there is fun stuff, like, Rodimus Drift and Ultra Magnus are, like, listening in on 
the conversation in the room through the the microphone in Rung has a has a microphone in his thumb. Yes. <laughs> and like again, there's there's fun stuff in that, like there's funny stuff there, but obviously this is this is a darker issue and it's a darker issue about a character who yeah. is not one of the main thirteen. No. Crucially, Red Alert, who has been paranoid, hearing sounds in the basement, what is in the basement? Overlord. The the object of Fortress Maximus's trauma, the badass, unkillable Decepticon really well written in Last Stand of the Wreckers like an absolute fucking murder machine super sadistic, really good fights, really well done. Yes, he is in the secret basement saying kill me, kill me, kill me over and over again and that's gonna be super important (laughs) Yes, that'll be super important but now, I hear you say we've spent six issues getting to know a cast of kind of about 15, 16 characters, 13 of them that you have to care about. We can maybe absorb that two-parter where we went away from the main cast. Like, it it was bad, but we can get back on track. What if (laughs) we did it again? But this time, we introduce 11 characters who you will have to keep track of. Kind of, but they're at least in two groups. You don't necessarily have to know who is who in the groups, you just know they are groups. Yeah. So this is this is the DJD arc, the Decepticon Justice Division. They are introduced here. They were referenced in the Delphi arc. James Roberts made them up. They are mentioned offhand in Last Stand of the Wreckers, not shown. None of them are toys that existed previously. They are basically the elite guard. They enforce Megatron's will to the letter of the law. They go after deserters and very violently murder them. Yes, and, and and what has also happened is, because the war is over, an awful lot of Decepticons have kind of gone, war is over, we're no longer Decepticons. We're and no war longer is over, just to be very clear here, war is over, and what does Tarn, their leader, say, but the war will not be over until Megatron says it's over. Yep. <laughs> and, and Megatron, Megatron at this time is thought dead. Yeah, so... Megatron has not been seen since issue 30 of the ongoing series. We are kind of like eight months out from that issue coming out and like no one has seen Megatron. Megatron is like, Optimus disappears yeah. for three months in continuity. Megatron has not shown up in any book yeah. outside of like flashbacks. And these are his most devoted soldiers. Tarn specifically, their leader, is his most devoted soldier. Tarn literally wears the Decepticon badge on his face as a mask. There's so much fun stuff with the Decepticon badge in this. Yeah. He also outright quotes Megatron's poetry. Yep, reads from his his, autobiography. Yeah, towards peace, yes. His grandiose talks of, like, only when putting down my weapon means nothing to anyone but me will I actually do it, you know. My weapon is my my burden, a reminder of the path (laughs) I was forced to take. When the word weapon is emptied of meaning, when the purpose of a weapon is impossible to grasp, when the rejection of my weapon is is of significance to no one other than myself, only then shall I remove it from my arm, because only then will I have earned the right to rid myself of my burden. Peace through tyranny, everybody. Tarn is the name of a Decepticon city. Basically, it's where Megatron is from, so obviously his most devoted follower would name himself for the city he is from. The five members of the DJD are the first five cities that the Decepticons took, so they are named after cities, all of them. They all have real names. The fandom had a really fun time trying to puzzle out if they were people we already knew in different forms. Tarn is somebody that... (laughs) and. This was a mystery for most of the book. They're all incredibly violent, incredibly fucked up. One of them turns into an electric chair. One of them can take his face off and he says, wear my face, and it's covered (laughs) in spikes, like hundreds of spikes. One of them has a giant smelting pot in his chest 
One of them has a giant, like, grinder in his chest, and he just picks robots up and just feeds them through it, and they die. That's in Transformers 2, Rome's <laughs> the Fallen. It is. It is. Editorial mandate, I'm sure. Tarn is their leader. He has Megatron's weapon, but two of them? <laughs> yep. He wears the Decepticon badge on his face, as we said. It's very clearly a mask. Like, you can see there is a face behind it, but you can't see the face. It's, like, cracked in places. It's all very cool. And his whole deal is, he can talk you to death. Yep. Which um, they show off wonderfully yeah. with Black Shadow, who is a, a phase sixer, is what they're <laughs> referred to as, which is basically Megatron has like a, a seven stage plan for winning the war, essentially. And phase yeah. six of this plan is there are three Decepticons who are. Three known ones, we should Three say. known ones, yes. Yeah. But like they are like the most powerful Decepticons in his army, and they are they're Black Shadow, they're Overlord, and they are. Six shot. Six shot is I own one. two of those as toys. The one I do not own is Overlord, who is the best one. <laughs> so, yes, Overlord is the one that is in the basement. Six shot is very rarely seen at this point in continuity, and Black Shadow is the other one. He has got the smallest profile, and therefore is perfect for the DJD yeah. to absolutely wipe the floor with. That's the thing is like because yeah, Six Shot has had like arcs in the series where he is basically shown up on Earth, and because Phase Six, as I was about to say, is like the phase of the plan where you send one of these robots down, or you send one of these Transformers down to the planet, and then just like they wreck everything. Like they, that is... yeah, they they can basically raise an entire planet to the ground. Yeah, um, and they do this very cool thing where it's like Black Shadow versus the Wreckers, deaths three. Black Shadow versus this entire army, deaths a thousand. Black Shadow versus a planet, deaths three billion. And then it's like Black Shadow versus the DJD, deaths one, and it's him. So, like, it's this escalating sense of power of, like, we know the phase sixes are as bad as it gets, and these guys kill one easily. And it's like, it's classic shit of, like, establishing this cool group of villains who will basically go away and come back intermittently. Tarn really, as I said, very popular. I think the first officially licensed. Like, by Hasbro, IDW official-ass original yeah, character of, toy. Yeah. <laughs> is, is is the Drift Hunter toy, like, officially... I, I mean, this is the problem. There the are so many that are, like... So, like, Takara Tomy, who made the original toys that Transformers come from, they make all kinds of, like, partially knocked-off shit. Like, I have an unofficial Tarn toy from, like, before he got a real one. and Yeah, but I, he's a big deal. And the fandom, I think it's very... In a world where it's an animated series or whatever, they really want Keith David to voice Tarn, and I could really see it. Because <laughs> he's meant to have this, like, very low timber. He loves listening to classical music and talking people. Like, he's able to get his voice to a level where it's in perfect sync with your heartbeat and then convince it to stop beating is essentially, in, in robot terms, what he does. And it's cool as shit. It is interesting <laughs> that they do say, like, these phase sixes have, like, a, a tendency to blow, and, like... There is a very big green flare when he explodes, and that is semi-important. The number of things to have a pin in now has grown out of control, <laughs> but never mind. <laughs> this um, is a very foreshadowing heavy book. It is. Like, there is a plan. Like, Roberts is a planner, and you can really tell that. Some of them are short-term pins, some of them are long-term pins. Yeah. Most of the ones we've said so far are actually short-term pins. Yeah. I there are say. a couple of things that are, like, in the very last issue, but a lot of this is actually... the Basically, when he got the book, he didn't think he was getting more than 14 to 16 issues. So he, ends a lot up of getting, is... he ends up getting, like, 100 at yeah. the end. <laughs> Which is cool. Our other group, the Scavengers, they are, as they sound, they go to battlefields and they scavenge organs, anything of use, 
and they were all Decepticons, they have all kind of lost their kind of care for the war before it ended, like they're kind of waifs and strays. There is the funny moment when, like, spoilers, they run into Tarn later, and, like, <laughs> Tarn is whispering to one of them, and he's like, I don't know how you've done this, I rank every single Decepticon in the world, and, like, obviously at the top you've got, like, all the ones, the most powerful ones, I don't know how you've done it, but you've ended up with the six worst Decepticons. <laughs> yep. Very much written that way, they are six fail sons. I don't think it's worth individually calling them out because of how many characters we have, but I just want to say one of them is incredible, and the dialogue <laughs> attributed to him is, to him, the world is a collection of vaguely hostile shapes. If he seems distracted by his own fingers, it's because, and I present this as an empirical truth, he is truly the stupidest person in the entire universe. Uh, Spinister has my favourite line... <laughs> In this issue, which is like, he's looking at the fire and he points his gun at the fire and someone's like, will you stop pointing, stop pointing your gun at the fire? And he's like, it's looking at me funny. <laughs> and you're like, how is the fire looking at me funny? But then the next panel, or like the page turn, is that they have set fire to a corpse. Yep. That is indeed looking at him funny. It is. <laughs> he's a big dumb idiot who is also a genius medic. He is an idiot savant. He's perfect. I have no notes on Spinister. Yeah, yeah. A w- wonderful, wonderful character. Yeah. I really like the scavengers. The sca- I'm trying to think like what the, the most alike thing to kind of compare them to. Because they're not like a bulk and skull when they're <laughs> in like every episode or every issue. They just... Every now and then, you get some capers with the scavengers, and they're just silly comic relief, having their own adventures, and they will weaponize the fact that you don't see them very often at one point, and it's glorious. Yes, they will get an issue kind of like every, kind of like 12 issues or so. Like, they will show that. Yeah. Another one of them, every time he tells a lie, he transforms. I assume Ryan Johnson owes James Roberts some money? (laughs) Anyway, this group, they come across a survivor, they take him in when it turns out he's he's alive, they stop trying to steal his internal organs. This guy didn't know the war was over. He says that's like saying there's no more blue or the weather has stopped because there has just always been war, four million years of it. And I do really like that he asks who won and they all kind of hesitate and um and ah. And they're like, we think the Autobots... And, like, they get into a realm of, like, they're not even really sure what was supposed to happen if they won. And that is, again, an element that these IDW books in general are, like, what happens after the war? What happens if Megatron wins? Like, what does this species look like when they're not fighting each other? What does it look like when you have Autobots and Decepticons together in a mishmash group? And that's kind of the spirit of the Scavengers, because they are all Decepticons, but, like, they don't want no problems. (laughs) Like, they're just idiots who want to get home or or whatever they want to do. And then they come across a symbol ship, which... It's a giant Decepticon logo, which is used as a joke because it's like, are you sure it's a Decepticon ship? And he's like, pretty sure, yeah, because it's just a giant logo. This is the most condensed comedy of the entire run so far. And I think it works really gloriously. Like again, there's there's my one of my favorite kind of panels in this is they aboard this ship and there's like flesh walls and a <laughs> like br- like protoforms are like what transformers are before they gain a spark. There's a non-functional robot like made from wood. There's a wooden um, robot. And yeah, in wood- in the notebook, he has written down this thing about a wooden robot and somebody asking what makes it a robot, and he writes, "Good question." <laughs> <laughs> I just like that. I just like self doubt about your own. I think idea. There, there are like more. <laughs> they do like, explain robots. how it's a robot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they do all this, and then is it Croc that does the speech where like 
or misfire. I can't, I can't remember which one like gets in front of everyone and then goes like, I'm sure there are many, many Decepticons who would be really excited to be in a room full of like flesh and wood robots and stuff like that, but not me. Let's like, let's yeah. leave immediately. I'm not one of those. Let's run. They're great. They're really good. They're just comedy. And you don't need to know which one's which. Is, the is, issue is, is my stance on them. Yeah. The issue is, is that this issue has got more than them on its mind because, like, yeah. we are also cutting backwards and forwards to the Lost Light, where we're setting up like Red Alert has given Rung's "quote unquote" corpse like a data slug containing video of Overlord. Rung, um, Rung is technically alive, miraculously. Ratchet refers to it as a miracle. He's reluctant to do so because of his his leanings he's very injured he cannot he doesn't have a head basically um but yes red alert like slips him some data and is like they're gonna kill me for finding out what's happened and then an unseen person takes that recording away from rung's corpse which is um, fun yes the other thing though that i really enjoy about this issue is chrome dome mm. has stolen the gun from skids Yes, he does this in the background of issue four. When they're all in the bar, you can kind of see when it's happening, which is yes, fun. but they obviously they obviously play the panels now where you can actually see what's happening yeah, yeah, in this one. He goes to gives it to Brainstorm, and Brainstorm is like, "I have no idea what this is, but I figured out it's called a binary gun." And... <laughs> he doesn't say he figured it out. <laughs> he says it's called a binary gun, and then he's like, "I know because I called it that." Or he's, he basically. Chrome Dome sums it up as, so you blow it up and then gave it a name. I could have done that and I would have called it something better than a binary gun. <laughs> love Brainstorm. I love Brainstorm, yeah. Brainstorm's like, great. Brainstorm is like, I mean, again, I'm just trying to think like what kind of character he's like. He is like if Doctor Doom was an actual good guy. And there's like, way more mania than that, though. Like, he's very hyperactive, I think. He, like, he's, he's trying to show off a lot. Like, he has a rivalry with other scientific bots and he's like... I'm hanging from the ceiling and inventing something because only I can do that. And <laughs> the dependence of my next invention, it, it relies on taking the universe by surprise and stuff like that. And, and that's kind of like where the crux of my issues are, is that a lot of the good characters have had like moments. Yeah. But like, I can just imagine a world where like you've done your first three issues and then the next five issues are kind of like nominally sh spotlights on kind of like five mm. characters. And I'm not saying you need to do a spotlight on Drift, Hot Rod, sorry, Rodimus. Um, and <laughs> Hate that, as he says, when he's <laughs> called Hot Rod. <laughs> I've read 200 issues where he's Hot Rod, okay? It's gonna he's take always Rodimus to me, baby. I could see a world in which you get a, a Chrome Dome issue, a Brainstorm issue and stuff like that. And obviously yeah. all of these characters will get arcs where they get to do like cool shit but like right now we we are in the middle of like here are 11 new characters that we're introducing you to mm -hmm. luckily the djd and the the scavengers are about to meet because djd have like tracked after these decepticons they've said that there are six life forms that are allowed to survive but there is one who will die essentially yeah we're, we're, we've come for one of you the other six if you turn them over you can just watch us kill him, basically. Yep. And that's when they realise that they are not the only living people on this ship. They are, in fact, joined by one of the most famous Autobots, yep. Grimlock. Me, Grimlock. He turns into a T-Rex. Everybody knows Grimlock. I don't feel the need to explain him. It's interesting he's been siloed off from the other Dinobots, who are in the other book, and I think they had, like, appeared in the same numbered issue as Grimlock appears in this one, which is... 
Yes, they they call it Dinobots Month this month in the oh, comics. Okay. Earlier on in the in the other comics, basically Grimlock had kept the other Dinobots in the dark about some shit that he was doing, which led to them being stuck on Earth for for thousands of years. And then eventually, he sacrificed himself to allow them to go free for like the the off book mission. Yes, Grimlock uh, is revealed as in a pod. There is some kind of assumption that they might be here for Grimlock. That there are occasionally some hints that Grimlock used to be a Decepticon. I don't think it's actually confirmed, but it is like an, an ongoing... I think that's kind of like what this issue does kind of like hide the twist, which is that like they see this guy and they're just like, oh shit, they're obviously here for Grimlock. But Grimlock was never a Decepticon, at least in the run of comics that I've read. No. And the DJD are not here for Grimlock. They do not know that Grimlock is there. They're actually here for Fulcrum, who is the, the robot that they've, they've picked up. Yeah, the one they've picked up, he is a kamikaze bomber type character and he is a deserter so they've come for him and yeah they debate their options and it's like talk them out of it which is greeted with laughter hand over whoever's done it I think oh no run away and it's like no they'd catch us or fight them and it's said that fighting the DJD is just certain death with more letters it's suicide with delusions of survival love it they do end up agreeing to fight them because they're stupid. They set a trap with Grimlock. They try and set Grimlock on them. He gets his ass kicked because he's like super fucked up from whatever has led him here. He was in prison and then there's some other stuff which will be revealed a long, long, long yeah. way down the line. Yeah, that's another issue with the pacing of the book is like this stuff we're talking about now will super pay off right at the end. And until then, I would forgive you if you forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, like I, I checked and I was just like, I know we get back into like the Grimlock it's at the right look, at the end. I looked at when it was and I was like, oh my god, like that is I think it's post reboot. I think it's in the last four well I don't know, but yeah, so they fight them, it doesn't go well, one of their number is killed. Should Rest say these flywheels. Yes. They do keep a spark eater as a pet. Which, just again, just just adding to their, like, look how fucking cool they are. They have the the horror monster from the first arc as their pet. They take down a giant mech suit that they try to use against them. The suicide bomber man turns into suicide bomb mode, doesn't go off. And then they're like, actually, we've just picked up the signal of Overlord, so you all get to live today, we'll make our way back to you. <laughs> the reason that he didn't go off is the first thing they did when they found him on the battlefield is remove the thing that makes him go boom boom. <laughs> so <laughs> he didn't know that when he tried to kill himself to save his new friends. And I do actually really like this idea of a guy that has been forcibly signed up to be a suicide bomber, having this zest for life because he's lived unexpectedly. Kind of. Thing. Yeah, I, I I really like the Fulcrum stuff where he's like, not only do they get bored of his backstory, but the backstory is also really interesting where he's like, I committed crimes, my punishment wasn't execution, it was forced suicide, essentially. Yeah, they make it so if you jump from any height of any like real worth, you automatically turn into a bomb and you blow up and die. On impact. So that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> a literal suicide squad. They agree to take Grimlock in. All he can say is me Grimlock, which, you know, hearkening back to like that is how he talked. Me I'm Grimlock, etc. Some other stuff has been happening in this issue. The big one is Skids agrees to let Chrome Dome read his memories because Chrome Dome can read memories. He does it. The last twelve months have been like completely removed. By something, and then he speculates that he has purposefully repressed some older ones and he refuses to carry on and backs out. 
Solving the yep. mystery of Skids. Skids had asked a couple of people if they're into music, and they've both said, no, not really. Chrome Dome recognises this, this song that is stuck in Skids' head. It is called the Empyrean Suite. Put a pin in it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then the book end with issue one, where issue one ends with a tease of kind of like where the book is going to go over the course of its run with, with many, many things that will make no sense to new readers and still don't make sense to any readers other than you've met the characters is the dead body of, is it flywheels there? Yeah. They're kind of like, yeah. So they basically, the, the scavengers scavenge the body of flywheels and kind of take its parts because that's what they do. Yep. Then you get a montage of time passing on this planet and then a robot that has been mentioned a couple of times over the course of the run so far, the Necrobot. Yeah, they talk about him, when they're talking in the context of like legends and things people don't believe are real, they talk about the Necrobot. And the most context we are given is actually in this section, and they talk about how he is a, a neutral party who... It's kind of the Grim Reaper. He shows up and he catalogues dead bodies and we see him in the, the end of this issue and he adds Flywheels' name to the list. And of, in, of note, there are people on the list that, as far as we know, are still alive. <laughs> so I think it includes Ultra Magnus and Drift. It is. So the list is Hound, Chrome Dome, Dipstick, Drift, and Ultra Magnus. Yeah. So Hound is also aboard the Lost Light, I believe. He is. He definitely is. He's in it uh, a weird amount, given that he gets like basically no lines. And then Dipstick is also aboard the Lost Light. So the crew of the Lost Light. And they're all alive as far as we know. So that's interesting. So yeah, it may not have given an incredibly good first impression if you are a person listening who has not read this run before because there's just a lot going on. Stick with it. Our next episode on this stuff, I think the book will really find itself. Yeah, this is this is the one that like, literally someone wrote an article about this arc the other day, about how it's like the true detective of of this book. Uh, but we get like, it, it's a fun kind of like three issue arc, which allows them to stretch their, their feet out. And then you also get a couple of issues of solo stuff and then you get some payoff to some of the stuff that's been happening so far essentially yeah. like like that i think and that's this is when the book becomes easier to read because the stuff is more organically paying off stuff that's already been introduced i do think shadow play is another left turn but it is yeah. a really good left turn that's very good um, yeah that's um, the thing is, and, and it is this thing where like the first 12 issues of the book to describe them is difficult because <laughs> it's kind of like when you come back to it there really is only kind of like four issues of stuff happening aboard the lost like yep. in the first 12 issues that is tricky but like stick with it if you if you haven't read it before do you have issue numbers on what we are going to be reading up to next time uh well next time we'll be covering transformers revenge of the fallen yeah so as we flip back and forth between our, our mission statement to the michael bay movies and then back to the lost light so next time is transformers 2 aka revenge of the fallen but then after that we will be covering volumes 3 and volume 4 which contain more than meets the eye annual 2012 and issue issues 9 through 11. Yep. We will then be doing volume 4, which is just issues volume uh, issues 12 through 16, and also the pro story Signal to Noise, which was contained in issue 12 of the comic when it was, sorry, issue 13 of the comic when it okay. was published. But that is that is contained within those two volumes. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so up to issue 16 plus the annual, essentially. Cool. Well, I look forward to it. This has been long as shit, but I have enjoyed it because, as I said, when we pitched this whole thing, I fucking love this comic. Fun to talk it out and really excited for where we are going next but not literally next because boy howdy one of the worst movies ever made 
we are going to the nadir of the Transformers franchise. I do not think, apart from maybe Age of Extinction, I do not think this franchise gets any worse. The, the show is called More and Less Than Meets the Eye, and we are getting them both here. So there you go. Do go to entertheRealWorld.com. Real has two E's, like a film reel, and check out other stuff that we have done there. Do find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Like, comment, subscribe, and yeah, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you, Ben, for your time. No worries. Thank you very much for indulging me at this very late record for us. It actually. is. It is. It's bedtime. It's hardcore bedtime. Time to find a recharge slab. No, audience, roll out. <laughs> it's just the dumbest sign off. Bye, everyone. This is why, why we fight, why we lay awake. This is why. This is why we fight When we die We will die With our arms unbound This is why This is why we fight So come to me Come to me now